Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there right for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 35. Wow. My name, whoa. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Raygun. How's it going? How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. You doing well? No. Oh, so it was a complete lie. <laughs> yeah, I lied. I started this week off lying to you. How just do you a, feel? This is a straight up lie. I also like how you picked. Did you pick up that glass and then not drink it? Yeah, because I, I 
<laughs> I thought I had a little bit more time. Oh, well, you usually can... go into like, uh, oh, the illustrious yeah. Chris Rowe. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, had, I thought I well, had you sip me. time. You interrupted my whole cadence. So take a sip of water. Go ahead and, and, and do something about that parched throat of yours. Now, welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for your patience. This podcast is going up a day late on Patreon, but it, people on free feeds won't notice any difference. I was in Philadelphia with my brother last week recording a bunch of episodes of Knockback, my retro podcast. So those will be coming up. Lots of good ones, including episodes on Bioshock and PlayStation 2. So episodes that will be very relevant into this audience indeed. But remember, Sacred Symbols is a PlayStation podcast. Chris and I do every week. You can support it on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Doing so is essential, allows us to continue to do the show. You get early ad-free access to the show, exclusive podcast. The exclusive podcast this month will be a Sacred Symbols episode I'll be doing by myself where I answer a bunch of your nerdy questions that we didn't use during the regular show. Mm. Because obviously we put up a thread every week. You guys populate it with your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, etc. If you want to be freeloaders, however, you're free to do that. I would never tell you otherwise. <laughs> Go on free feeds, leave us nicer reviews, tell your friends and family about the might, the majesty, and the wonder of Sacred Symbols. We appreciate you very much. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you again, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I, yeah. We still got the roach problem, which is like mind-blowing, honestly. This is a thing, this is a saga that continues for it, you. It continues. Mm. There's like, this is the fourth extermination and they're just still around. I don't get it. I think I'm just going to get rid of everything in my apartment, for real. I think it's the kitchen mainly. I'm going to yeah. get rid of the stove. I'm going to get rid of the fridge. I don't know what I could put back there. Didn't, Cyanide. Didn't you find that there was a hole that you thought that they might have been coming through or something yeah, like that? Yeah, evidently uh, it's not that. I think oh. they're in the fridge, to be honest. Oh, you think they're in the fridge? I think they're in the like the the back part of the fridge. You right. know what I mean? Large city size asteroids didn't kill them, and so I doubt that any mortal exterminator is going to uh, be able to do the trick. But we're wishing you the very best yeah. in this particular endeavor. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things because, as I said, when I lived in San Francisco, I had an ant problem for sure, but which a lot of people did there. But I live in a newer building here in Santa Monica, five stories up, and I think that it's actually the amount up that is helping us. Uh, Kind of dodge bob and weave, as it were. Yeah, maybe I'll just move pests. up uh, a floor or move something. Up. Yeah, I'll just do that. Like the Jeffersons. <laughs> now, yeah, we're sorry we're late. Now, uh, again, uh, I want to throw this in here real quick, too. This actually isn't in our notes, but I feel like it is pertinent. Just want to wish everyone listening to the show. We have listeners and even Patreon supporters from Venezuela. A lot of crazy shit's going on over there right now. So we want to wish all of you guys the very best and gals the very best as everything sorts out. We hope you, your families, everyone stays safe. And we are here for you. We're thinking about you. We're keeping you in our thoughts. Mark Elfering wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can. And he said, hello, Colin and Chris. As a fellow lover of hotcakes from Mickey D's, <laughs> I put in the tiniest bit of research for you, Colin. What I could gather is that the McRiddle is technically a sandwich made of two pancakes. Thus, they named them hotcakes to differentiate the two items as they are clearly different types of pancakes. One is very thin and buttery, while the other is thick and grilled. All the best good sirs, nothing better than a McDonald's Coke. Scientifically proven to be the best. I don't know about that one. Erin's of the same mind. Erin is obsessed with fountain Coke. Like she loves it, fountain Coke. But it's just Coke in it, a fountain. It's different. It is different. It's, it is different it's than a bottle of Coke. It's inconsistent. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's better because it's so inconsistent by sure. the nature of the fountain. Sure. Like you get lemonade or, or root beer out of a fountain and sometimes it's like, oh, how delicious. And then other times it's, wow, what interesting dishwater this is. Yeah, it's it's... All depends. I think McDonald's Coke is very good, personally. But Here's what the best Coke is, mm. and I'm not a, even a, a Coke fan, mm. right? Mm. Coke in the glass bottle. Oh, like Mexican Coke. Anything in a no, anything in a glass bottle. So you, is superior to anything else. It's not that you like the pure sugar Coke as opposed to the corn syrup Coke that we drink in the United States. It's that you like the glass aesthetic. Yeah, because glass doesn't taint the drink with the taste of like tin can or mm. like plastic. It doesn't do any of that. That's why a glass Snapple is better than a plastic Snapple. 
and why a glass Coke is better than a canned Coke. Yeah, I can see that. Although I have a huge problem with Mexican Coke, so-called Mexican Coke, because I hate Coke with real sugar in it. I just hate it. Like really? if you go to Europe, anywhere in the world, we're the only people that really have that kind of Coke. Like the, the uh, corn syrup Coke. Yeah. But as Coca-Cola is an American product and as Coca-Cola is in the American company and they're making it here in the States with corn syrup, that is the real Coke. And I like the real Coke. You know what I mean? I don't like the Mexican Coke or the, the sugar Coke. I don't like it. Actually, just as a complete non sequitur, we brought that Mark Elfering question up or I did because last week we were talking about the might, the majesty and the wonder of the McDonald's hot cake. Right. And Mark, you're completely wrong. And here's why. Because you, you said you put in the tiniest bit of research and you certainly did, because if you put in any more research, Mark, you would realize <laughs> that the McGriddle is fairly new compared to the hot cake that is now about 40 years old. So your research is wrong. Damn. Your research is wrong. The McGriddle, the McGriddle came out in the 90s, as far as I remember. The hot cake had already existed at that point. Your research is at best inconclusive, but we appreciate you writing in nonetheless. That was a lot of rage. <laughs> a little you bit upset. You, pop, you look like you popped an ultimate move. Driven by, Rodinos and said, Hey, Colin, I have listened to your show for a while now and debated whether I should sub or not. I'm really not a fan of Patreon or, for that matter, paying for things that I can legally get for free. However, in the end, I decided I get too much enjoyment from your terrible opinions and Chris's super weird awkwardness to not support you guys and help CLS continue well into the future. I appreciate that, Driven by. I wanted to bring this up, Chris, just to remind everyone, you know, support the show on Patreon if you can. But if you have some sort of issue or some sort of problem, I totally understand if you can't or don't want to support the show. Yeah. You know, I might take some shots at you sometimes for not supporting the show. <laughs> you know, I might call you a freeloader, for instance. But for real, I, I always get bummed out when I read the exit surveys on Patreon where people are like, you know, lost my job. Oh, yeah. And they, they apologize. Yeah. And I'm like, like, it's like no believe me, it's it's, it's not my price. By all yeah. means, continue to enjoy the content or whatever. Obviously, more than 5000 of you support us on Patreon. We very much appreciate that. But I never want anyone to think that that's a prerequisite. Without the Patreon support, we would not be able to do the show. And I think Patreon is more for people with disposable income as opposed to people that are a little keeping it a little tighter to the vest. Oh, for as sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. We appreciate you no matter what. Mike Gooding says the final comment before we get into what we're playing. We're just going to get right into it this week, just like Phil DeFranco. He says, hey, Colin, do you have a P.O. box? I'm dying to send you some Canadian ketchup chips. We do have a P.O. box. It's only the, the only place the P.O. box address exists is on the Patreon account and on the video in the video descriptions on uh, YouTube. But you can send us whatever you want at uh, P.O. Box 1233 Santa Monica, California 90406. But again, that's really not necessary. You don't have to send us anything, but we appreciate it if you do. I have boxes of stuff people have sent me here. I still have to like reach out to them and acknowledge them and thank them for that. Yeah. So if you want to send us ketchup ships, you can do that. But that seems like an incredible waste of money and time on your part. <laughs> but we appreciate you nonetheless. Chris, this is a PlayStation podcast. Let's talk about video games. Yeah. What have you been playing? So I've been playing Anthem. And uh, Metro Exodus. All right, so let's take them one at a time. I feel like I want to talk about Anthem first. Okay. Just because I feel like there's a lot to <laughs> a lot to unpack about it. So if for whatever reason people don't know, it's a social action kind of looter shooter MMO light third person game in the vein of like Destiny or like The Division 2, uh, or I guess The Division, because Division 2 isn't out yet. It's basically, you know, grind experience, level up, explore, get gear, play around in this open world kind of, and just kill people enemies until you get better stuff basically and it's weird because it's i've seen a lot of reviews about it and it's like oh this is horrendous it's not terrible i think it has its place specifically because the division is kind of you know a third person shooter mmo light but it's more grounded and destiny is obviously an fps with, with a little bit more like sci-fi fantasy element this is more of 
a sci-fi action kind of adventure, kind of like in the middle ground. It just feels like it's a bit far too late to the game to me. You know, the content feels kind of sparse. The UI is actually horrendous. I don't understand how they've made the UI the way it is. Because to change, like, loadouts and just to change, like, your weapons, it you have to go through a loading screen. And a lot of people are talking about, like, oh, the loading screens are really long. It's not that they're long, it's that they're really frequent. And that's what's weird about it, because I feel like Destiny doesn't have this problem. I feel like, from what I remember, The Division doesn't have this problem either. It just feels kind of old. EA was kind enough to send us codes. We very much appreciate, again, Electronic Arts treating us like adults. We appreciate that. Yeah. And I haven't even redeemed my code yet, because uh, I've been away. And so I've kind of just been from, you know, afar reading about things and seeing what people's opinions are. I'm not terribly surprised that the game seems vanilla, but I am a little surprised by what you just said earlier, because a lot of people have been saying it as well in that it's just it seems like this grind, you know, loop or whatever. But I'm like, isn't that what all of these games are? I'm a little confused by that particular you know, complaint, because that seems to be what destiny is. That seems to be what everything like this is. Yeah. For, sh- for sure. Know? Yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of personality that it doesn't have compared to the division and destiny. I feel like a lot of the game banks on this kind of like you can fly around kind of deal. It's like you're Iron Man and you can fly around, which is cool to look at. But when you're actually playing it, it feels like surprisingly uninvolved. Like you're just flying around. It's not like Spider-Man or like you know, these games where traversal is kind of fun and interesting and you're, you're kind of at the whim of like you have a lot of freedom in the way you move around, but you're still kind of at the whim of like how far how far away am I from a building? Like what's the physics angle of my swing or like it doesn't feel as interactive. It feels kind of passive. So a huge hook of the game feels kind of like you're just watching it. That's interesting. That's and an interesting and, point. And, yeah. And I never thought about it before, but it just feels like it, it's almost like you have too much freedom, which is weird. Because I didn't think that that would ever be a problem. Now, some of the complaints I had been seeing was that, were that the maps are beautiful, they're lush or whatever, but they're empty. Is that a fair assessment that these like yeah. stages or whatever are just kind of... Oh, yeah. The game looks fantastic. It looks really beautiful. But ultimately, you're flying around, so the actual level design kind of feels inconsequential. It's, it's kind of like if in Skyrim you could fly to the top of the throat of the world or to the, to the top of High Hrothgar, whatever the hell that mountain was, the adventure to that mountain is what makes it fun, like trying to figure out how do I get up there. But when you're looking at the top of the mountain, you're like, oh, I'll just fly there. Mm. The level design kind of feels like it. What incentive is there to be on the ground? Right. And how is the gunplay? Pretty similar to Mass Effect Andromeda, I think. And that sounds like a bad thing. And I guess it is because Mass Effect Andromeda overall is kind of like a kind of product. But the gunplay, I thought in Mass Effect Andromeda was probably the best part of it. So it it does feel good. It feels fine. Like shooting things feels correct and it doesn't feel slow or awkward or anything. But it does remind me of Mass Effect Andromeda. And maybe that's kind of tainting my perspective a little bit because, you know, Destiny is very much an FPS, but it doesn't feel like Halo does. You know, it feels very distinct. But this kind of does feel like Mass Effect Andromeda, if I could just fly around. Right. And that doesn't... Yeah. And there's definitely more polish behind it. I want. I do want to say that. It's not as... Bro- like, there are bugs in it, but it's not as nearly as broken yeah, as Andromeda is. This seemed to be an A-team effort, at least, out of Edmonton. Not to say that the Montreal team, which I think is the yeah. now in Austin, didn't help. But, yeah, this is obviously a more AAA or A-style Bioware yeah. game. There's no doubt about it. By the way, I do want to throw in, because you would use the term looter shooter before, very controversial term. I don't like it very much. It, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like really? it. Really? Yeah, I just don't like that term. I like it. I, think it. I think it makes sense. I mean, it does make sense, but I, I just it just makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> 
But the other question that I have about the game is kind of its stickiness because we've been talking a great deal about all the competition. And in fact, what's so funny about this is that in the news, when we get into the news, there are three games, including Anthem, that have kind of laid out their roadmaps to move forward. And all these games are competing with each other. But this game, because of its sales trajectory, which is bad, I was reading actually, I didn't put it in the news because it, it seems, I don't know that it seems mean spirited, but it's it's just, I don't know that it's relevant. It's more relevant to this conversation we're having now. But apparently in the UK, where they're a little more open about sales charts and stuff like that, sales are half as strong as Andromeda. Which is horrifying. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, and, and it's like ten percent of what Destiny Two or Destiny did. Yeah, it's um, it's bad news. You see, but, also you see bins of games already discounted. Yeah, huge yeah. caveat to that though. I, I believe those charts from the UK are only count physical. Right. From what I from what I understand, that's true. And physical sales have been on a downward trajectory for a while now. So that's important to keep in mind. Absolutely. But the the long term stickiness of this is is strange to me because I, I'm not sure that it really has the legs quite yet especially because it's it, there's no pvp incentive so there's no mode in there to keep kind of players entertaining each other which is kind of a big way that these kind of shooters sustain themselves is the pvp and like the competitive balance but what's weird about it is a huge benefit to not having pvp in the, in the game means that you can get really wild and creative with your weapons because you don't have to worry about how a weapon will balance in a competitive mm. uh, environment, you don't have to worry. Like you, you can have guns like Ratchet and Clank that turn people into sheep. You know, like I'm not going. I'm not going that wi- that wacky and wild with Anthem, but it just feels weird because Destiny, which is, and I, I, I hate to keep comparing it to Destiny, but it's, well, I think it makes it, it is sense. a reasonable comparison. There are guns in that game that feel kind of interesting and unique, despite them having to worry about the PvP and and the competitive balance of it. Whereas in Anthem, it just feels like a missed opportunity because it's there's no PvP, but you just have shotguns and assault rifles and paint by... No, it's just a generic arsenal. And it feels like a missed opportunity to make some really cool stuff. I don't think it's a bad game at all. I just think, for me personally, I gravitate more towards FPSs. I could see if you were maybe more of like maybe a sci-fi third-person shooter that this would satisfy your kind of mmo light kind of grindy shooter itch. I could see why people like it. It's not there yet, I don't think. It's interesting for me, too, because I think the Destiny comparison, like you said, makes a lot of sense, even though I guess there are different perspectives. Even though the Division, I guess the Division 2 will be more of an immediate and more sensical competition for the game when it comes out in March. For sure. But for me, I guess the other question is, and this is something that people have been debating, where does this game stand in comparison to the original Destiny? Because the original Destiny really wasn't greatly received, but from my memory... Now, I was still in games media when Destiny came out, as I recall, and I remember the game being kind of mediocrely received, but not there almost seems to be a tenor of again. I brought it up before, like almost like mean spiritedness, almost like wanting this game to fail. Yeah. I don't really understand getting involved in games rising or falling based on that visceral standpoint. But where does the game stand compared to where Destiny stood at the beginning? Because rightfully so, people point out that, well, you can't criticize Anthem too much because Destiny was in a bad place and Destiny is now in a great place. So maybe we can get it there as well. I do think it's possible for it to get there. But I I also just feel like the reason Destiny and even The Division, I feel like the reason why those games are in better places now is because they came out early enough for them to have that appeal for a long time and to, you know, get a lot of players in for the last several years. Whereas... Anthem, I feel like this looter-shooter craze is kind of more or less on the decline. So unless you've been around for a while and you've managed to accrue a lot of the audience and managed to sink your teeth into them, I'm not sure if there's a lot of people left, and I'm not sure that there's enough about 
Anthem to really find a, a, I'm sure it'll find a new audience, but I don't know if it'll find a substantial enough audience or take enough of an audience away from these other games that it'll find itself in a place where you know, it could be the next big thing. Right. It just it feels like it's just too late. Like if the, if Anthem had come out in 2016, maybe even 2017, I would say, yeah, this this is worth probably keeping an eye on and I guess in some ways it is, but I, I don't know. There's just something about it. I don't want the game to fail at all. I think there's merit to it. I think flying around has its merits. I think it's a decently put together game, but I don't know. It just feels like we've been through this song and dance before. It's funny that it came out around the same time. This is obviously a PlayStation podcast. We don't typically talk about Xbox, but I know Crackdown 3 had come out recently to like very lukewarm reviews. Yeah. And people saying that that game feels like and looks like a game that has been, literally was developed in 2007. And I'm not saying that Anthem is that way, but to your point, oh, Anthem, not at all. Anthem has been in development for a long time and was not supposed to come out this late. So I do wonder if, you know, Anthem, I, as far as I understand, Anthem was probably is probably missed its original window and from pre-production probably by like 18 months. So to your point, I think that, yeah, maybe they could have you know slid it in the game. The analog that I want to bring up here just from the outside, Anthem was never a game I was really going to mess around with and play it. Just to your point, there are not that many players left. Right. I already knew that I'm going to play the division two. I knew I was going to play the division two the second it was announced, no matter who what anyone said about it. I didn't care and yeah. I don't care. Really, I'm, I'm going to play it. <laughs> yeah. But this was a game that was never really super on my radar, but it reminds me, and we've brought this game up in the past, Chris, Evolve reminds me of, because it's not about whether the game should exist, whether the game is playable, whether the game can get better, but whether the game is for anyone. Yeah. And I think that that's like a different question. And I will say, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to save what I'm going to say for a little while because I want to consult with the audience now on this. They, they submitted a lot of questions for you. Okay. I've narrowed them down into a few that I thought might bring us into some interesting directions here. Sure. Basil Frank or Basil Frank wrote in us and said, hey, Colin, Chris and the Roaches, you knew. always love listening to the podcast, especially at the gym, as it gives me that extra pump. He's a swole gentleman. <laughs> yes, uh, this is a very adrenaline pumping podcast. <laughs> I could only imagine like, go to sleep. The, the dumbbell is that a thing that falls on you. You got to be very careful, Mr. Frank, when you're at the gym. I'll keep it short. Anthem will most probably sell way less than EA wanted, and it was a big bet for EA, especially Bioware. What do you think this means for their future, especially with Dragon Age 4 down the line? Now, this is the biggest point of contention amongst people right now, is what does this mean for Bioware? And obviously, for those that are unaware, Bioware is a EA or an NEA-owned studio. So EA has the right to close it down, just as it has closed down Maxis, and just as it's closed down Visceral and all these other studios, and no one could believe they would ever close down. But I think Bioware is safe. Yeah, me too. And the reason that I think Bioware is safe is for one reason. And I predicted this, by the way, back in the fall. And people can go back and read Twitter or listen to the shows. I predicted that Ant there was going to be a problem with Anthem. And I predicted that EA knew that there was a problem with Anthem. And so when, if you'll recall back in December at the Video Game Awards, Bioware randomly showed and talked about, I think, Dragon Age 4, right? And I think that was a way to telegraph to people that Bioware is not going away, that they're probably or I don't want to say probably because I don't I hope that doesn't happen. I wouldn't be surprised if there were layoffs at Bioware in the coming few months if the team is bloated and if the game is not doing well. But I think that there's a whole team, especially in Edmonton, that is focused on the single player Bioware pedigree. And so I personally wouldn't worry about Bioware's health. That's my stance. Yeah. And by the way, I'll say this, too. I am really put off by the people rooting for Bioware to go out of business. Why would you ever do that? No, that's insane. That's weird. First of all, they've given us a ton of great games. And second of all, why would in a time when people are getting laid off where there's not there's actually fewer jobs than there is demand for new employees, as it were, then 
why would you root for something like this? I hope Bioware stays, stays healthy, but I am of the mind that they are going to be fine. <laughs> EA kept Respawn alive after Titanfall 2 didn't do even remotely close to what it what they probably expected it to. And, you know, they ended up sticking with Respawn and then they came out with Apex. And that ended up being like a huge thing. Even Battlefront, as far as I'm aware, is like actually still being worked on and still yeah. improving. So, yeah, we have a tendency to think of EA as, as the company that shuts down a lot of studios, and, and they do. But I do think there is a bit of a changing time going on at EA where it's like it's not necessarily making or break it. And especially with the success of Apex Legends so recently, I think that's going to absorb a lot of or take a lot of the pressure off of Anthem personally. I think that's honestly it probably was the reason why Apex Legends came out when it did. I think so, too. I think that's clear now, by the way. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear now. That was obviously a riveting theory a few weeks ago, but I think that that's somewhat clear. Yeah, but yeah, Bioware is fine. They're going to be fine. Yeah, I think so, too. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if they called the herd, as it were. Again, we hope that they don't. But I really think that all Apex Legends is another part of the quadratic equation, as it were, just like the Dragon Age kind of thing was. These were all just telegraphs, I think, to the audience being like, we EA's not stupid. These publishers aren't dumb. They know how game they see pre-order numbers. They see people's reactions. They see the excitement or lack thereof of the beta and the alpha and all of these kinds of things. And so I think that they just had to get their ducks in a row to make sure, A, people don't worry about Bioware's health. B, we have some revenue coming in. Because remember, especially with Battlefield Five, that has its own Battle Royale mode that Apex Legends, a free-to-play game, is competing with. And per the Titanfall 2 point that you made, it's true that Titanfall 2 didn't sell well and that EA kind of cut it down at the knees for some reason with its own game. But Titanfall 2 was critically well-received, which that, is something that also, Anthem doesn't that's enjoy. True. Anthem you know. is kind of... Not doing well on either front as as far as the numbers go. But I wouldn't worry too much about Byron. I think you're going to get Dragon Age 4. I don't think that's a, something that you should be worrying about. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that would be such a bad look for EA too. Yeah. That, you know, I just don't know that they would want to go down that road. But we'll see. And we, we obviously hope yeah. everyone, you know. Yeah, especially because they're trying to specifically repair their image. Exactly. Although I will also point this out, Chris, and this is an interesting thing as well. We've talked a lot about, we're going to talk about Fallout 76 during the news because they've also laid out their roadmap. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the failure of that game, how discounted that game was, how ill-conceived that game was, all that kind of stuff. But then Bethesda re reveals that the game still sold millions of copies. And so Anthem could be in a similar situation where I don't know if they're going to make money. I don't know what the investment was. I'm sure it's a significant investment. But the optics might not match the reality. In other words, like EA might not give a flying fuck what anyone thinks about Anthem publicly because they still have this group of whatever playing and buying and, you know, delving in and, and telling their friends and stuff like that. So we have to keep that in mind as well. But Anthem clearly just based on anecdotal evidence is not doing well. And so we'll see how it does in the near future. Zach H wrote into us and said, hey, guys, Colin, I think this anthem really should enforce your views, which align with mine as well, on the whole notion of preview coverage for games. I recall back when they unveiled Anthem a few E3s ago, all the game's media outlets and personalities lost their mind. They kept on and on about how incredible the game looks from the demo presented. Now the game is here and is seemingly in a poor place as far as critical reception goes. Marketing games before release is obviously important, but why should I ever view or read preview coverage from a media outlet regarding a game? Obviously, the developers are only showing what they want the public to see. This is a great point. I've said this for a long time, Chris. This is why I just loathe preview coverage. I hated it when I was in games media because I didn't feel like it was inherently dishonest on the part of the person telling you what they think. But you are only seeing what they want you to see. And they are only you are only seeing the glossiest thing of the perfect frame rates and they're going frame by frame, making sure nothing's out of order. And yeah, I don't blame you guys. This is why preview coverage is largely useless and why I think that you kind of just have to go with your gut 
and maybe wait a little while and watch trailers and all of this. Yeah. I don't find much value in preview coverage. I think Anthem is another great example. It's just like No Man's Sky. If you replace No Man's Sky. Well, word, I was, yeah, I was about to bring that up. Yeah, but I it's think, the same thing. But I don't know, because I think if you've got a good, if you've got an educated, you know, eye, preview coverage is still kind of valuable. Like I, when I, I remember when they showed Anthem off for the first time and I thought that looks entirely fine. And when I, and they and they showed off No Man's Sky, and I thought that's not gonna be good, even from the preview stuff, like the stuff like, oh, look at how incredible this pre-rendered scene is. Even from then, like you know, I could tell that there was something wrong with Anthem. I could tell that there was something wrong with No Man's Sky. So I think it is largely deceptive, but I think a keen observer would probably still pick up on the things that they need to pick up on. So yeah, I don't know if it's inherently useless, but it does feel kind of manipulative. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It is marketing. I mean, it's inherently marketing, and that's why I always try to just stay away from that stuff and have been pretty clear with the publishers that will work with us that I'm not really interested in seeing your games in preview format because, you know, I've been tricked before. I know what I know about video games, and I understand them, and I've been tricked. We'll keep our fingers on the pulse of Anthem, obviously, moving forward. I'm sure Chris hasn't played, you know, I'm sure Chris will continue to play it. I'm going to plug it in and play it when I can, and we'll continue to obviously keep this going, this conversation going. You guys can continue to write into us on Patreon and let us know what you think. But I do want to segue, Chris, into Metro, because I know you're also playing Metro Exodus, which is a game that I'm keenly excited to play. Now, again, just to be clear, we did talk a great deal about our relationship or lack thereof with their PR and stuff like that. All of that aside, take, I guess, what we say with a grain of salt. I've still not played the game. I haven't even bought it yet. I will. But you went and bought it Mm -hmm. and you played it. Now, tell me what you think of Metro Exodus. Well, full disclosure, I haven't uh, I haven't played the previous ones at, at all. Like I played like some parts of it and, and they didn't really grab me at the time. I don't know if maybe when they came out, I was just too impatient. <laughs> they are a different kind of shooter. There yeah. are like I yeah. said, they are walking simulator shooters. For sure. And in the beginning of this one, I was I was getting frustrated because it's just like hold a square to slowly crawl through a vent. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> I hate I hate this. Right. Uh, but eventually it starts to just kind of click with you as to, you know, what kind of game it is. I ended up really liking it. I like the foreboding kind of just like dreary slowness of it. I really like how the HUD works. That's funny you say that. I, Cole Hank wrote, don't even say another word. Don't even say another word, Chris. Okay. Cole Hank wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, I've been playing Metro Exodus and I realized it's a game with the most interactive HUD of any game. Do you think other games can incorporate more world built in HUDs? So talk to me about that. That's funny that you brought that up. It's really cool. There's like there's points where you got to like uh, there's a button to check your gauges. Like you lift your left arm and you check like, oh, am I visible to the enemy? Like what's the radiation level looking like? I love that there's really no waypoints or it feels like super visceral. There's no like, oh, I have to go here. But there's like a big like yellow beacon on the map. There's none of that. It feels like you have to check your map constantly as to figure out figuring out where you're headed. Dust gets in your eyes. You have to wipe the, the dust off your off your visor. And like sometimes your gas mask can crack and you've got to seal it with tape and stuff. It's really, really cool. I'm actually really liking it. It, it does. It is a bit buggy sometimes. I've run into some glitched out skyboxes. There was one point where I was climbing this weird radio tower thing. And I got like flung up into the sky and I had no idea what was happening. The audio mixing sometimes is a little weird where I remember I was talking to this general character and he's got like robot legs and he was walking through the snow and I couldn't hear a word he was saying because the clank of his like boots against the snow was so freaking loud. And, you know, there's weird little hiccups like that. But overall, it's actually a surprisingly compelling post-apocalyptic kind of survival scavengy kind of game and I'm, I'm actually i'm really digging it yeah i'm excited to get into it i just want to get through far cry new dawn first and yeah. then 
I'll start playing it. But it's it's good to hear that. And it seems like it's an evolution because I did play Metro 2033 and Last Light. I'm, I'm very familiar with those games. I platinum them both. And it seems like it's just an evolution of that HUD, an evolution of wiping your mask off or switching your masks. And it just seems like a more kind of uh, in-depth version of that, which I think sounds really cool. And I'm really excited about it. But it's funny you bring up the audio mixing because the audio mixing in Metro 2033 and Last Light are some of the worst audio mix games okay. I've ever played in my life. <laughs> okay, Like good. straight up, like I had no idea what the fuck anyone was saying half the time in the game. So that's Is it super- a thing in those games too where people just like talk over each other constantly? Yeah. and you- like there's just disparate conversations going on. And like, you know, a lot of the... I guess subtitles don't really shine through or they kind of conflict with each other. So that's a weird problem. And that's becoming a problem in a lot of things. I was just reading a story about like, why are movies so badly audio mixed today too? Like, so it seems like it's this thing where there's just this disconnect or people are using. I wonder if people, when they're making games are like relying on the finest 5.1 Dolby surround things to figure things out, but not realizing I'm playing on a fucking television set without, you know, with just onboard audio. And I think most people play like that or with headphones, so I think that probably has something to do with it, too. But it's just funny you brought that up because the audio mixing in the first two games, horrible, yeah, horrible okay. audio mixing. Well, <laughs> so it seems like 4A did not learn anything in the last few years about about doing that better. Yeah. I, again, I can't speak to how it compares to the previous ones at all. Like, it, I've seen a lot of people saying it's worse than the last ones. I don't know. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It feels to me like if Fallout was polished and not, <laughs> and not necessarily, you know, an RPG, but this kind of wasteland kind of scavenging experience and, uh, and I'm, I'm digging it. I cool. like it. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to playing it in the coming weeks. Tom Sullivan wrote into us on Patreon and said, hi, C and or C love your work. Keep it up. Big boys. I was just wondering if you could give me advice for which game to buy. Now, this is a question only Chris can answer right now. I'm tossing up between Anthem and Metro Exodus. Now, I know they are wildly different games, but I have heard both have issues. The former having more. So he's saying the former being Anthem. I am a fan of looter shooters. I hate that term and Bioware games. And I love the tight and tense feeling of the first two metros. I've just been burnt by destiny one and two. And have also heard Exodus isn't near as good as the originals and has movement problems, which would you guys recommend? So just based, obviously this is a completely subjective thing, but would you recommend one over the other? Again, as Tom says, they are very different. Yeah, they are remarkable. <laughs> They're not even remotely comparable. I think you have to look at what you're looking for right now. If you're looking for just kind of like a mindless thing to, to play while you listen to podcasts or while you, you know, just, I don't know, do other things. I would say Anthem's a pretty decent bet. It's a destiny. It's a division. It's something that you can kind of play and like take, not really, you know, turn your brain on all that much. You probably watch a movie while you're playing Anthem, you know, (laughs) it's a good kind of game like that. But I I would definitely recommend uh, Metro 100% as far as like a proper, like genuinely interesting experience to go through. Right. Anecdotally, what I've seen, and even if you just use Metacritic and kind of reduce it to the barest essence, it seems like Metro Exodus is a better game. So yeah. I, I think that's going to be up to you. I really have a hard time believing that Metro Exodus is worse than Metro 2033 and Last Light. I don't think Metro 2033 or Last Light are incredibly remarkable games. So I think that they're fun. I think what's fun about them is the fusion of the walking simulator element with like shooting. I think that's kind of what's fun. They're unique. They're actually really unique games. They're frustrating sometimes because they, yeah. they just don't do anything sometimes. And then you like, you start playing it and you start fighting and it's like, oh, this is fun. And then it kind of takes it away from you. Is the sensitivity in the previous Metro games really low? I don't recall. I always set my sensitivity really low. In really? Games. Yeah. I like I don't like like actually the most recent game that felt exactly right when I started playing it was Bioshock, which I we talked yeah. about recently. I went back into and I don't like games that snap. 
like snap quickly. It gives me like a headache. I like wow. games that kind of slow, like where I'm like moving a little bit more. I don't know if it's realistic or not, but yeah. So I don't recall because I think I always kind of go and set that down. A I, I bump mine up to the highest, and it, it, I will say in Metro it felt really low. I was like, oh my god, I just I just want to turn around. I just yeah, want to turn around. You, please. It takes you like five seconds to turn your body. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to play it quite that slow, but I think you and I play games because even in Doom, which I love, 2016 Doom, like I set the sensitivity a little bit lower as well, oh. just because I think that I have, I feel, t- I feel like I have tight, like I turn and stop, and I'm on the enemies as opposed to like, and maybe it's just the way I play where I'm turning and I'm like, you know, five feet to the left of the enemy. No, yeah, I want to yeah. shoot. I understand you know? that, but yeah, I mean, Metro's got it, got its issues, but I think it's overall like a really fun experience I, I'm, I'm really liking it and i didn't think i would and i started off really not liking it <laughs> like the beginning just really frustrated the hell out of me so there you go that's the advice so. from chris is to give it a shot and at least persevere through the beginning and that's a very common thing i mean you see that with well i guess the, the most notable example is machine games first wolfenstein which the first half an hour is awful i mean if you base like your whole you yeah. know conception on that first game when you're in the airplane and all that shit fucking sucks but it doesn't represent the, what the rest of the game is. And so sometimes you just have to get through. I mean, I've talked a little bit about what I was playing. I'm playing Far Cry New Dawn. I've only played it a little bit. Unit 13, I've been playing on Vita. Really great game. Zipper's last game. Of course, the studio that did SOCOM. Fun game. Launch window Vita game. Don't know why I'm playing it. Just felt like it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But nothing really to say about it other than that. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The first piece of news this week is a pretty substantial piece of news, actually. Media Molecule's long-in-development PS4 exclusive Dreams is finally coming out this spring, kind of. The Sony-owned studio announced on the PlayStation blog that their game is coming to PlayStation 4 in the coming months in so-called early access form, so that the studio can continue to work on the game while soliciting feedback from players. Remarkably, Sony is charging for the honor of beta testing the game further. Playing Dreams in early access will cost you $29.99 in the United States and an equivalent or near-equivalent amount in other parts of the world. A specific release date is still unknown for either the early access version of the game or the final version of the game, though Media Molecule provided a link on the PlayStation blog so that you can sign up to hear more. So, first of all, the reaction to the beta has been remarkably positive. I want to throw that out there. People have been making apparently really cool stuff. I just can't believe they're still fucking making this game. That this game is now entering an early access phase that they're charging for it. Which to me, I guess, makes sense because now, like, you got to start making money on it. I mean, how much money are you going to dump into this thing? But I still contend that there isn't a market for this game. And we're going to now find out if I'm right or wrong. You know, I, think, I, I might think, be right. I might be wrong. I think there is. I just don't think it's a huge one. Well, there's a, let me back up a little bit. There's a market for almost anything. What I'm yeah. saying is, is that is there a substantial market that's going to justify the cost. justify this ridiculous development cycle that mm-hmm. has been going on for fucking ever now? Maybe, you know? maybe not. But I, do, I, I admire what they're doing because it is 
essentially they're trying to what they're making is basically a game maker that functions in like a, a modern space but i remember we used to have like game maker games like back in like back when a lot of games were like 2d you know or like rpg maker or like whatever it's like hey here's a 2d sprite here you go have fun right. hey who cares but it, it seems like they're trying to like really step that that up I just don't know how many people are really like, I'm definitely going to check it out just because I'm so morbidly curious about it. And also, I just I've fooled around with game engines before. I know I know how to mess with them. So it's it's just interesting to me. But maybe it'll be like this weird thing where it, it kind of inspires younger developers. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely people that are out there that are going to enjoy it. It just seems so in depth yeah. and so requ- it requires you to just be so in it. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like another game that joins this pantheon of games that demand time. And like dreams is definitely not going to win against, no. you know, some of those games at the man time. Now, I don't know. I don't want to come off as a hater. I know that I've been very negative about this game, but I'm not negative about the game. I'm simply negative about why it's taking so long and who it's for. But I think it's becoming somewhat clear that this is a long term project that will find its way, obviously, to PlayStation 5. And I think that, you know, they're charging now because now it's like shit or get off the pot time. Remember, Media Molecule hasn't released a big AAA game since 2011. 2011 is when Media Molecule last released the game. Tearaway came to Vita, but that was made by about 15 people at Media Molecule, so that doesn't count. You know, these guys have been working on this game forever. This game was shown when PlayStation 4 was revealed. Yeah. You know, so that was in 2013. I hope I'm wrong to a degree where this game is huge. Well, the beta seems to be positive, so we're going to find out. I'm interested in it for sure. Number two. Sony is officially pulling the plug on the production of PlayStation Vita hardware in Japan, entering the niche handheld into what is essentially its final year or so of any relevance. Word comes by a website, Silicon Era, which points to the official website for the handheld in Japan. The website points to the two current color variants of the handheld, Black and Aqua, with a new note that indicates shipments will soon be ending. As the website notes, Sony noted at Tokyo Game Show last year that Vita production would continue into and perhaps through 2019, but this new update on the Vita website spells the soon-to-be end of Vita's run, which began way back at the end of 2011. Rip. Vita games are going to continue to come out. Vita games are still being announced, especially in Japan. But it seems like the hardware is going to enter its final kind of production run now. I want to be very clear. I have three PlayStation Vitas, including one in the box. Two of them are Japanese. If you are looking for a Vita, if this is something you're thinking about buying, if this is something you think you might want, you really should act soon. Because I'm telling you right now, if a Vita is 215 or 230 that might seem expensive right now. I think I paid $215 for my last Vita. But you're going to be paying a hell of a lot more for them soon. So if... You want a new Vita out of the box. Again, you can buy the Japanese one. They are backwards compatible. You can do things in English. The buttons will be in, you know, uh, Circle and X are inversed on Vita, but it doesn't really matter since you play with it on the touchscreen to like, you know, select things. Mm. So it's just something you might want to consider if you are on the fence, because if you're on the fence in six months, you're going to be paying a premium for a Vita. So just throwing that out there. We'll see what happens. Number three. It appears that developer Obsidian and publisher Private Division may have accidentally leaked the release date of its upcoming eagerly anticipated open-world RPG, The Outer Worlds, which is slated for release on PS4 as well as other platforms. For a brief period of time, according to the website Push Square, the game's Steam page had a release date posted of August 6, 2019, which was taken down after a brief amount of time. That, ca- that release date is believable and doesn't appear to be a placeholder as it's a Tuesday, one of the two traditional release dates of the week for new games. The date hasn't been confirmed, however. Obsidian was purchased by Microsoft last year and joined the Xbox exclusive family, meaning that this game is likely to be the last Obsidian developed game on PlayStation for some time to come, if ever. So it appears that August 6th is a believable release date. 
for the outer worlds. That doesn't seem to be a quarterly, you know, like if you see a date like June 30, if you see a date like April 1st, if you see a date like October 31st, December 31st, those are probably placeholders. If you yeah. see something like August 6th and then it's a Tuesday, that's probably the release date of the game. That's awesome. So, oh, man. If that's true, I'm I'm way more pumped than I otherwise would have been. It seems like it's well on its way at the very least. So, yeah, that's so nice and refreshing. To just hear about a game in December and it just comes out half, half a year later. Very nice. Uh, we'll see if they actually can yeah, stick hopefully. to that date or if it's real. But I, I don't see I just don't see how that placeholder date just absolutely like just appears. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, let's put a placeholder of, of Tuesday, August 6th. Yeah, it's a weird. So, like, it really <laughs> it's definitely sense. a weird. It's also like a completely competitionless month as far as I as far as I know. Like January, February, July, August used to be total dead zones. And now. People figured it out, and now everything just comes out whenever. There are no dead zones anymore. I remember well, when some I was are at, still a kind of a dead zone. Like it's really only The Last of Us that I can think of. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are bigger games that have been kind of sneaking into August, and even September first was kind of like a weird date. Yeah, because I remember when I worked in games media, that was like we had like nothing to write about when I first started. It was like nothing. It was like you know fucking SpongeBob SquarePants on PSP or something like that. <laughs> so they're like spreading their wings, and I think August is a perfect time for a game like this. Yeah, right, right before the glut of holiday games gives you a little bit of time to explore and oh, that's exciting it. i'm happy so we'll see we'll confirm i hope that's true we'll confirm when the time comes number four there are indications that fallout 3 could be coming to current gen hardware including playstation 4 games industry insider wario 64 pointed to an amazon page or amazon pages simply titled as placeholders for ps4 pc and xbox one iterations of an unknown bethesda project providing standard deluxe and collector's editions across each SKU. All of the pages have since been taken down. The reason folks are speculating that this is Fallout 3 related is because the placeholders have led to a short 12 second countdown video that seems to be Fallout related. So it's like that same green, black color. You guys yeah, know it. Yeah. And it's 12 seconds and it's highly unlikely that it's Fallout 76 related as we're about to find out. But Bethesda is going to re- or has released a content timeline for that game. So we don't know what the nature of this is yet. The placeholders have been taken down, but it seems like this could be Fallout 3 remastered. Fallout 3 Ultimate Edition or whatever. Like, very what they, cool. like what they did with Skyrim. Right, exactly. And Fallout 3 has never been re-released. So this would be a pretty substantial thing. And w- it'll give us an opportunity to go back to this game, this 2008 game, and real, you know, this very highly praised game and see how well it really stands up because I'm telling you it probably doesn't. No. Um, no, definitely, definitely. That game was life-changing when I first played it. I was like, this is an amazing game. And New Vegas I still love, but I think we're going to find out that maybe Fallout 3 doesn't hold up. But we don't know if it's necessarily Fallout 3 related. But I would probably bet that it is mm-hmm. again we'll confirm when we have more information number five bioware has revealed its roadmap for anthem's first several months and it's chock full of updates and new content for players to dig into in addition to so-called recurring content like quality of life improvements daily weekly and monthly challenges and more all of this content is outlined on a post on ea's official anthem website and has detailed information for march's april's and may's content rollouts each month will have new rewards missions and more all encapsulated in the game's first act Acts 2 and 3 will follow, presumably each three months long as well, leading into 2020, but those two acts have yet to have been outlined in any specific way. Will you stick around with Anthem long enough to even explore this content, you think? I mean, it's wise for them to tell people that shit's coming, of course, but... I mean, I have it, <laughs> you know, and I'm not really playing Destiny right now. The Division 2 is going to be the thing. If it's going to pull me away from the Division, because I'm definitely more interested in the, in the Division 2 than I am in Anthem, so, like, whether or not... You know, I, I'm definitely going to keep playing Anthem and just try to see what's what there is at the end uh, in the end game. But the March thing is going to be the tricky thing. Yeah, we're running into the Division Two, and then we're running into other interesting games too, like Sekiro comes out, Ugh. which you know is yeah. going to be coming 22nd. out soon. Yeah, and then Days Gone comes out in April. So there are games that are going to be compelling 
outside of Anthem that are going to be pulling people away. Plus, yeah. if people's backlogs are filling up with games like Metro and Far Cry New Dawn and other games like that, I think it's like, it's going to be dicey. But I'll, I'll stick around. I'm, I'm, yeah. ge- I'm genuinely curious to see where it goes. It's Like I said, it's not like a bad game at all. Right. It's just, you know. Underwhelming, let's call it. Underwhelming. Well, I, I and I don't endorse that either. I don't know if it's underwhelming. I haven't played it. But that's what I'm garnering. Let's put it that way. Number six, Chris. Bethesda Game Studios has released its 2019 roadmap for Fallout 76 with nine new major additions spread across three content umbrellas through 2020. Or through to 2020, I really should say. Wild Appalachia, which begins on March 12th, will contain new quest trees, features, a seasonal event, and the survival game mode. In the summer, the nuclear winter content umbrella will bring along the nuclear winter game mode, vault raids, and new level caps. And finally, Wastelanders will come to the in the fall of 2019, though Bethesda hasn't yet gone into any detail on what that is, other than calling it, quote, our biggest and most ambitious update for 76, end quote. So it looks like Fallout 76 is going to be supported. There's just too much shit being supported for too long. These guys are just dicing and slicing up audiences. Who the fuck even knows if half this stuff's even going to come out, frankly? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't know, man. This, props to them for sticking with it, though, yeah. honestly. Like, I, I expected the exact opposite. I Honestly, I expected them to just be like, oh, okay, we're, <laughs> we're leaving. Goodbye. There, um, That's a rock and a hard play situation, right? Because you can't scorn the people that bought that game. And even with the free free to play rumors, remember when everyone was I was like, oh, that's a that even that's a terrible idea because people literally just bought this game for sixty dollars like two months ago. No, exactly. But I think that you can't strand them. And if the numbers that they're citing are true on Twitter and stuff, when they're like, thanks for the millions of people that are playing, then I guess there are people that are going to buy this shit. You know? Yeah, for sure. So we'll see how it all goes. And again, props for them to at least try to make it right. Yeah, I think abandoning your project is the worst possible thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For your the longevity of your future content and kind of the name of your studio and stuff, you can't just abandon it. Yeah, it's 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 better to have a good game eventually than just have a bad game forever. Right, exactly. It's kind of a bastardization of the the famous Miyamoto quote. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Number seven. Ubisoft has revealed more information about The Division 2's public beta, which runs from March 1st through March 4th. We talked about that already, but we have new information. While we already know the dates of the open beta, we now know what will be featured in it via The Division 2's official Twitter account. Three main missions will be available, two from the private beta and an all new one on one or an all, I'm sorry, an all new one. No one has played yet. Five side missions will also be featured alongside so-called control points and activities with dark zone and endgame missions and modes also thrown in. The Division 2 launches on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere in its full and final form on March 15th. And I was surprised to learn that the Division 2's Twitter account follows me. I'm wondering, should I reach out to Ubisoft about this game? Should I try to break the ice with them about this game? I think I might. Yeah, why not? Number eight. Square Enix has registered several trademarks and in several territories, all related to the Mana or Mana RPG series, according to website Gamatsu. In the US, Canada, and Europe, the publisher has trademarked Final Fantasy Adventure and Mystic Quest. Secret of Mana has been trademarked in the US and Canada. Collection of Mana, Secret of Mana, and Mystic Quest have been trademarked in Japan. Final Fantasy Adventure is likely a reference to the Game Boy game from 1991, the first game in the Mana franchise, which is known as Seiken Densetsu in Japan. Mystic Quest was an SNES game from 1992 that came to Japan in 1993 under the name Final Fantasy USA. Secret of Mana, of course, is the most popular Mana slash Seiken Densetsu game and launched on SNES in 1993. Square Enix's intentions with these trademarks and whether or not they'll be partially or wholly related to PlayStation releases remains to be seen. It seems like they're going to put these games together and release them. Yeah. I don't. It could be iOS related for all we know right now. I have no idea. Yeah. But uh, I have Secret of Mana. I never played it, though. I think it's an overrated game personally, but I think it's a, a great game. I feel that way about Chrono Trigger, by the way, too. I feel like people get a little bit out of control with overpraise of some of these games. But Secret of Mana and Adventures of Mana are already available, I think, on PS4 and definitely on Vita. So I wonder if these are going to go in some sort of collection. And I have the original Mystic Quest on SNES and I have Final Fantasy Adventure on Game Boy. Yeah, they're not really anything to write home about. So I, I don't know. 
Eh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And finally, Chris, it's a wrap-up. Number nine, so-called horror thriller Worse Than Death is coming to PlayStation 4 in the near future. The new One Piece game called World Seeker is coming to PS4 very soon. You can look for it on March 15th. Website Gamatsu reports that Nino Kuni 2's second batch of DLC, which includes a bunch of new content, will launch on March 19th. The website also reports that Supermassive Games, the British team behind PS4 exclusive Until Dawn, has registered a new trademark for a game called House of Ashes, which is likely associated with its already revealed Dark Pictures anthology that is being published by Bandai Namco. Publisher 505 Games has officially batted down rumors that Overkill's The Walking Dead game has been canceled for console, including PS4, noting on Twitter that development is ongoing, though the game is already out on PC. Red Hook Studios announced Darkest Dungeon 2 on the official Darkest Dungeon Twitter account, a sequel to their popular RPG that came to both PS4 and Vita back in 2016. Platforms for the game have yet to be announced. Website Push Square reports that Leisure Suit Larry Wet Dreams Don't Dry is coming to PS4 <laughs> as it has been rated by the German Games Rating Board. The website also reports that JRPG Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel is coming to Western PS4s on March 26th. You'll remember that this game came to PS3 and Vita back in 2015. And finally, developer Yacht Club Games has announced a last-minute delay of its King of Cards DLC for Shovel Knight. The expansion is set to launch on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita a little later on. So that's all of the news. Are you looking forward to that Leisure Suit Larry that's game? Such a good, <laughs> caught me off guard. That's such a good name. Wet Dreams Don't Dry? Yeah. yeah. That really caught me off guard. That's, a, that's actually a shockingly good pun. I what, only what played we? one Leisure Suit Larry game. It was the one that came to PS3 back in like, it was Box Office Bust. It was the one that came out in like 2009 right. or 2010. That's not, ne that's not nearly as good of a pun. Horrifyingly bad. Oh, yeah. I platinumed it, and I, I used to tell the story that I was literally screaming into a pillow while I was playing the game because it was so frustrating, but I just couldn't stop. Like You had to get the platinum. I had, that was back when I would like really do anything. Yeah. You know, that, was, that was back a long time ago. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now, Chris, we have a bunch of new game releases. Yeah, the only wow. question is, do you want to go first or do you want to go second this week? I guess I'll go first. Okay. 8-Bit um, Invaders comes to PS4. 8-Bit Invaders is a colorful sci-fi RTS that's easy to learn and play. Control the military might of the Galactic Marine Corps or invade with the savage power of the cranioids? That's what it says. All right. Collect resources, build your base, amass an army, and crush your opponents. Okay. The Ark Slinger comes to PSVR. Get your trigger finger ready for the fast shooting VR world of the Ark Slinger. Entrusted with the mythical gun Angel Heart, oh, that's pretty cool. You must take down the villainous Gold Smoke and his dastardly gang. Do you have what it takes to become the Ark Slinger? Oh, this is good. Awesome P <laughs> comes to PS4 and Vita. Awesome P is a classic run and jump platformer where you must help the greedy P. 
in his insatiable quest for gold. Uh, dangerous dungeons, deceptively beautiful nature, hidden deadly traps, and many, many coins await you. I like that write-up. That's a good one. Yeah, it is good. I like the name too, Awesome P, and it's P-E-A in case you guys are curious. Blast Zone Tournament comes to PS4. Blast Zone Tournament is the fast-paced game where fun meets explosive combat. Take on challenges in the fully loaded single-player campaign and prepare to compete in numerous multiplayer arenas. Blast your way to the top of the leaderboards. There's an exclamation point. Yeah, there you go. Crash Dummy comes to PS4. Crash Dummy is a challenging 2D platform game. Blast, burn, and freeze your way through each level. Jump long distances and do some stylish ninja action wall runs in this story-driven adventure with a unique set of endearing characters. All right. Creepy Road comes to PlayStation 4. The world has gone mad. Hordes of enemies lie between Flint Trucker and his beloved Angelina. Only his courage and a shotgun will help him to reach home and save his one true love. Go get him, Flint! Dead or Alive 6 comes to PS4. The long-awaited new installment of, of the Team Ninjas... Of the Team Ninjas. Yeah, that's what it says. I don't that's know. weird. Of the Team Ninjas top-class fighting game series. With the addition of brand new stages and characters, Dead or Alive 6 embodies and illustrates the evolution of true fighting entertainment. Does anyone at PlayStation Blog care? I'm just going to ask that one more time. Like, does anyone read this stuff? Is anyone? Re- are they just copying and pasting this stuff? That wasn't just me, right? That was no, weird. no, that's was... not just you. This is a Tecmo Koei game, by the way. You think you might want to treat it with a little bit more respect if they made a spelling error or a grammatical error, because it does say the long-awaited new installment of the Team Ninjas top-class fighting. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's of Team Ninja. Jesus Christ. Death Coming comes to PlayStation 4. This is, sounds like a game for both of us. Death Coming is a non-linear <laughs> puzzle game where you must harvest human souls, Final Destination style. However, pesky mortals are not your only problem as the angels or the agents of light, I'm sorry, will do everything they can to stop you. Deponia Doomsday comes to PS4. Can you change Deponia's fate? Do you have what it takes to change Rufus's past? Present and future without accidentally destroying the whole planet? Fight time itself in this action-packed platypus? Pustastic mm, and insanely hilarious story. All right. I'm just going to go ahead and keep going. Scrolling down. Dirt Pop. Rally 2.0 comes to PlayStation 4. Dirt Rally 2.0 dares you to carve your way through a selection of iconic rally locations from across the globe in the most powerful off-road vehicles ever made, knowing that the smallest mistake could end your stage. Doom and Destiny comes to PS4. Four nerds drawn into a fantasy world and mistaken for heroes have to battle their way through a massive, crazy adventure and defeat a preposterous villain. Journey through uh, an unpredictable story filled with parodies and cameos. This is Doom and Destiny, the flying spaghetti fantasy adventure. It's it's named after two games. Yeah, which is interesting. Which is bizarre. Fimble comes to PS4. Fimble combines intense Viking battles with a deep story that unfolds through in-game comics to bring the frozen world of the Norse sagas to life. Immerse yourself in the blistering winter preceding Ragnarok, the Fimble winter. Honor and Duty D-Day comes to PS4, (laughs) comes to PSVR. Honor and Duty D-Day takes place during the D-Day landing in World War II. Play uh, TDM of domination in 32-player matches. Drive tanks, jeeps, and trucks in large open maps as you search for the enemy. Now, that is one hell of a name because that is clearly designed when you're searching for a Medal of Honor of Call of Duty yeah. to come up so that's Honor and Duty and then D-Day. We're just going to go throw D-Day as another <laughs> World War II in there. Yeah, everybody likes D-Day. You know, I never get tired of D-Day. I don't know why. Just never get tired. It's in a lot of video games. It really is. June 6, 1944. Man, what a fun level. It was a fun day. I'll tell you, that was a great <laughs> what day. What a fun day. What a fun day to celebrate. <laughs> Near Automata Game of the Yorha Edition comes to PlayStation 4. 
The Near Automata Game of the Orha Edition includes DLC and bonus content for the full experience of the award-winning post-apocalyptic action RPG. To defend against a surprise invasion from another world, a new breed of android infantry is sent into the fray, the Orha Squad. This is like the game everyone gets mad at me for not wanting to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pick a picks classic comes to PS4 and PS Vita. The popular picture crossword series goes back to basics. Pick a picks is a picture logic game, sometimes known as Pick Cross. Nonogram or Hanji? Yes. Where whimsical pixel art pictures are created by solving puzzles. Very old school. Picross was a big thing on Super Famicom and on Famicom and all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. A weird genre. I don't know if these games are any good, but I, I don't think this is the first one on Vita or PS4. Hmm. Remolore comes to PS4. Remolore is a roguelite anime style adventure set in a colorful fantasy world. Features single player story mode, two player co-op mode, 200 plus weapons, upgradable skills, procedurally generated levels, loads of unlockables, and more. That's how you write if you want to get me. I think that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Tells you exactly what it is. Stellaris comes to PS4. Paradox Development Studio is bringing the grand strategy genre to consoles for the first time ever with Stellaris Console Edition. Featuring the same deep strategic gameplay, rich and diverse alien races, and emergent storytelling, Stellaris Console Edition puts the complexity of the galaxy at your thumbsticks. Really interested to see how they do this on console. This seems like a game that would have been impossible to bring the console. So I really want to see. Have you? Uh, do you have experience with Stellaris? No, I just I've seen it. I've seen like video of it before, and it seems like a very complex game. But because it reminds me of when what was the game that they brought? Oh, Kirk, when Kerbal Space Program came to PS4. Yeah. Fucking. Terrible. It was like just you used to move the cursor yeah. with your hand. It's like dude, that's a great uh, PC game. It's just like you have to really do stuff to games to bring them to con those kinds of games to console. Like re they have to be designed again. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I'll be interested to see. Or this is what we're talking about, though. You know, mouse and keyboard support would be much appreciated for some of these games. I don't Maybe maybe it is. R so. I mean, RTSs are hard to put on console in general. Yeah. Like I the agree. only good one that I can think of is like Halo Wars. And that was a while ago. But I think this game Stellaris, I could be wrong. I could be talking, talking out of turn here, but I think that game is very well respected. I think that people really like that game. Yeah. So it's, I mean, cool. it's on my radar. I'm going to look into it. Summer Funland comes to PSVR. Get ready for the awesome VR experience that is Summer Funland. A crazy roller coaster, hilarious minigames, an incredibly fast-paced motorcycle ride through Gotham, underwater voyage, and space trip. There's never a dull moment in Summer Funland. Never a dull moment. Sounds like it. The Lego Movie 2 video game comes to PS4. Bricksburg is in ruins, and Emmett's friends have been taken. Team up with Emmett and a host of heroic characters to save their friends from the strange inhabitants of the Sistar system. Journey into outer space, d discover new worlds, and test your master building skills. I actually saw this movie. It was test your master building skills? That almost sounded like it was going somewhere else. <laughs> oh my god. You almost got my attention there for a minute. I was like, I'd be very good at this game. <laughs> The Walking Vegetables Radical Edition comes to PS4. Oh. The world is under attack from vegetables turned evil by dastardly aliens. Answer the call and take up arms to defend the planet. Buy weapons, develop your skills, and roam from city to city to take out waves of evil veggie monsters. Sounds audacious. <laughs> it sounds insensitive. The Walking Vegetables. <laughs> Jeez. Toe Jam and Earl, back in the groove, comes to PS4. The iconic 90s duo is back in the groove. Wink. Uh, with all new presents to help them navigate this whack planet Earth and retrieve all the lost pieces to the Ratmaster rocket. Team up for co-op play to discover new secret locations, hidden presents, and new friends. That game looks really good. Looking forward to playing that. Trials Rising comes to PS4. Explore over-the-top action and physics-bending motorcycle racing in Trials Rising, the latest edition of the Trials franchise. All new features, more competitions, and more tracks means new challenges. 
Vertigo Home comes to PSVR. Vertigo Home is an endless runner set in a 90s space western universe. Okay. Fly through and above a tunnel that, <laughs> that you steer with your head to avoid collisions and bizarre and dangerous obstacles. This is VR. The doors of perception are open. Mm. And finally, Chris, War Tile comes to PS4. Experience a living, breathing tabletop video game that invites the players into a miniature universe full of small adventures. It is set in beautifully handcrafted diorama battle boards inspired by Norse mythology to honor the Vikings. That's two Viking games in one week we're getting. Whoa! Now... Is this Cabela's? <laughs> now, I gotta say here, Chris, There, let's look through this real quick. Mm, Dead or Alive 6 is a game obviously people are gonna want to play. Dirt Rally 2.0 if you're a racing fan, I assume. Near is in there near Stellaris near. the Lego movie 2 video game I'm sure is going to be good Toe Jam and Earl looks good there's a lot of stuff uh, Trials people love Trials so there's a lot of stuff for people to play I mean nothing major but Doom and Destiny is such an interesting title to me it that is they, that they managed to go with that I guess it's a parody game it seems like it and I'm kind of interested in that I'm curious as to what a parody game looks like because the last parody game that I played was like Eat Lead The Return oh, of Matt, Matt Hazard. Hazard jeez yeah no. so I'm curious as to see how that goes <sighs> I couldn't even get through that game. I finished it. Did you? Yeah. I just couldn't. I was take weirdly it. amused by it. Now, Chris, to wrap things up, I've taken, let's see, there are eight inquiries from the audience. Remember, you could support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. I put up a thread every week for the next show. That's where you submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We really do appreciate your support there. Let's begin with Milan Batanik. He says, Hi, Colin and Chris. A couple days ago, I bought Nino Kuni 2 on sale as my first JRPG. If it counts as one, of course it does. I know your expertise in the subject, so would like to hear your opinions on big JRPG series like Dragon Quest, Tales, and Final Fantasy, and where to go next. Should I go for recent Tales of Vesperia, Bazeria, Dragon Quest XI, or something else? Keep fucking that chicken. P.S. Does Pokemon count as a JRPG? Now, yes, Pokemon is a JRPG. Oh, yeah. it's, it's Baby's first JRPG, but it is it does count as a JRPG, and I don't mean it as an insult. I played every Pokemon game from 1998 through 2010, so you're not getting any judgments Are, really? from Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I played like gold, silver, and uh, that was it. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I played, played ye yellow, gold, and silver. I also wrote strategy guides for a few of them. I love Pokemon. I just tired of playing the same thing over and over again. I just can't fucking handle it anymore. To answer your questions, first of all, Pokemon, yes, it counts as a JRPG. And of course, Nino Kuni is a JRPG. If you like Nino Kuni too, you might want to actually go and play Nino Kuni, the original Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. Unfortunately, it's not available on PlayStation 4, but it is available on PlayStation 3, and it's way better than Nino Kuni 2. So if you like Nino Kuni 2, then you're definitely going to like the original Nino Kuni. So maybe going in that direction. I think Final Fantasy is a really great place for you to, you know, if you're new to this, maybe go download Final Fantasy 7, you know, see what that game's all about. You can also download 9, 10, 12, 13, and 15 on PlayStation yeah. 4, I think. So you have options there. Seven's definitely the most accessible, I think. Yeah, like, I think so the one that, That's the one that even I like. Yeah, I think that that's a good place. To, I mean, that's considered one of the seminal JRPGs. I don't really agree with that, but it's certainly one of the most important ones. And so, you know, no horror in going back to that. So... Milan, I think that that's a good place to go. Dragon Quest XI, I don't know that... Dragon Quest XI is very traditional. And I don't know if you want to play a traditional JRPG. Nino Kuni 2 is not a traditional JRPG. So, you know, you have a lot of directions to go into. I would stay away from Tales. I think Tales is... A, I love Tales. That's probably my favorite overall JRPG series, considering how long it's been running. But that's not a very accessible series. The, the lot of hands-on combat and menu kind of management and stuff like that in that game. So I wouldn't go in that direction. Let us know what you think, though. Right back in. 
Luke Stanberry wrote into us, Chris, and said, hello, C-squared. My question is about joysticks. I have a friend who is an Xbox fanboy and refuses to play PlayStation consoles. His claim is that the reason for this is because the symmetrical layout of the joysticks makes the DualShock prohibitively unwieldy and that this asymmetrical layout of the Xbox's controller joysticks is much more comfortable and intuitive. This is far from the first time I've heard a claim that PlayStation controllers have an objectively inferior stick layout. While I can understand people having a preference, the notion that it could put someone off of an entire console ecosystem doesn't quite sit right with me. While I suspect that my friend's claim is little more than thinly veiled console tribalism, I wanted to ask for a second opinion. Can the stick layout of a controller truly be so unwieldy that it becomes unusable for some, or do I simply have balls of steel for being able to switch between PS4, Xbox One, and even Switch controllers seamlessly? Keep making Tuesdays great again. I can play pretty much anything. I can play on pretty much any controller layout except the Wii U. The Wii U is actually, it's actually repugnant to me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> because you're going in the opposite direction from the face buttons it's, to the, it's right? Just, Isn't that what it is? Aren't the buttons both below? Of the sticks, both of the sticks are on the top. Right, yeah. Which no, is that, baffling to me. So it's that whole muscle memory is ruined. Yeah, so yeah, I honestly, I wrote that entire console off for that reason. I personally don't think that the PS4 uh, symmetrical analog sticks are particularly unwieldy. I think that sounds like just kind of tribalism to me. Because I used to hear that a lot growing up, too, like in both ways. It's like, oh, why would the Xbox have asymmetrical sticks? I understand the preference because I, I also kind of prefer the offset analog stick just because I feel like the best controllers throughout history and throughout like pretty much the entirety of video games have always had the face buttons or the action buttons like ABXY or, you know, triangle square, circle cross, symmetrical to your movement input. And as games started going 3D and the analog stick became the main movement input, it made sense to me that the analog stick would be symmetrical to the face buttons so that's personally my reason for like preferring that but the ps4 is far from unusable like that's wild to me yeah i like, agree I don't, I don't get it i understand the criticism of the dualshock 3 specifically or six axis because it, it was really, so small it's small and it is cheap feeling compared to the xbox 360 controller it had nothing to do with the sticks or the layout of the sticks as much as just the no. construction of the controller and as i think we said on last week's show that really was a, a result of very last minute planning when the boomerang wasn't working on PS3 and all of that. And yeah. so they didn't manufacture it. So you have to kind of bring that into mind. Now, I will say pound for pound, the Xbox One Elite controller is the finest controller I've ever held. Oh, it's really good. Like, I love it. The fact that PlayStation doesn't do something like that, not only with the customization options, which are really cool where you can get like logos yeah, and different, colors and different stuff, sticks, which is so cool. But just the, yeah, you remove the sticks. I When I first held that controller, I was like, this is worth the money. I would buy something meaty like this any day of the week. But I think DualShock 4 really did rectify the situation from a build standpoint where I feel like it feels like a real person's controller. And going back and playing PS3 now, you can see like what we were dealing with, you know? like Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think the separation is that extreme. So could it be tribalism? I think so. Some people have preferences. I have no problem jumping from Xbox One to PS4 as far as a controller. No, exactly. Except for the bumpers are a little confusing for me. I don't know why. Mm, but I can see that. Just because they don't, they're not recessed. So like it's just a different feel. I don't like the way the bumpers click on the Xbox. Yeah. On the Xbox, that's that's one thing. But I, I I understand having a preference. But like to write off an entire catalog of incredible experiences just because a stick is in a different but still equally acceptable place is a bit off to me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. except for the Wii U. Fuck that thing. No, the Wii. I, it's so <laughs> I, funny you bring that up because can't help it because you have this muscle memory of using the sticks and then going in a certain direction to hit the buttons or use the D pad. Yeah. And that's totally like you can't relearn that. Yeah, that's one thing that even the the switch, every Xbox console, every PlayStation console, always the stick is below the face button, the face buttons, at least the buttons that you're pressing right. often. It's totally weird. Yeah, very weird. Jack Virgin wrote into us. I don't know if that's your real name, but if it is, <laughs> it's a good name. 
Hey, Colin and Chris, I wanted to ask you too about the consideration of price point when critiquing and reviewing video games. This is a great question, Jack. Yeah. Recently, I've noticed that the perspective of many video game reviewers tends to soften under the weight of a sub $60 price tag. Two recent game releases that fall under this category are Far Cry New Dawn and Crackdown 3, the latter being full price but available with Xbox Game Pass. Reviewers can go on and on with their qualms about a game but then follow it up with, but it's only X amount of dollars or but it's only on Game Pass. My question for you is this. How much consideration should the game's price tag be given when it is under review? If it is to be heavily considered, what about games that are released as free to play? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Thank you for a really good question, Jack. What are your thoughts on this, Chris? For me, this is tough. This is a really tough consideration. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it's relevant. I think that it's important to note how much a game costs. And I think that you can have different opinions based on the cost of a game. But it's not the money is not the only currency that matters when playing a game. I oh, think for time sure. Your time matters yeah. also. But I do think it's actually very, very important. I think um, because ultimately what you're looking for when you're reading a review is uh, you're looking to see whether or not something uh, appeals to you from a value proposition standpoint. So if you're looking at a game that like Apex Legends is a pretty good example. Apex Legends is a great game. It is a fantastic battle royale game with a one very well designed map with a, a handful of characters and solid gameplay, one mode, and it's good because it's a free-to-play. If that game had come out at $60, no way in hell would I recommend it. I'd be like, this is actually an awful $60 game. But because it's free, and, and PlayStation Classic's another example, it's not going to change the quality of something, but it is going to change the value proposition of it, even if, you know, ultimately time is a currency that you spend regardless. The PS Classic at $100 is ridiculous. Absurd. I couldn't recommend it for $100. The market agreed. Yeah. $30? Yeah. I, I, why not? You know, it's it's not. It's still not well put together. They, they mix NTSC and PAL versions of games, even though NTSC has been superior for, like, a long time. Like, why would you do that? It, it is worth considering. I do, I, th I do think it's valid to say, like, you know, keep in mind what this game is and what it's demanding of you. Uh, but it's not going to change the quality of it. Ultimately, I think it's all about putting the pertinent information into the review, into the body or into what we're talking about here on the podcast or a video, whatever the case might be, and then kind of letting you determine whether the value proposition is there or not. But you're right. Apex Legends, not that I play it, seems like a very well received, very fun game that's very focused and very free. And if you were going to go into a store and pay $60 for that, you would have a different or even $20. I think you'd have a different kind of point of view on it. So I think it's relevant to talk about it, but I don't know. See, this is why the reductive nature of the Metacritic era is so bad, because I just think it has to be it has to be put in there saying, like, this is what the game costs and this is what it is. But it doesn't necessarily affect the quality of the game. There are some free to play games that are excellent, that are worth money. And there yeah. are some games that are $60 that have no business charging $60 and so on and so forth. And of course, that's relevant. But I don't think it affects the quality of the game or what the perceived quality of the game is. It's no, about exactly. the value proposition. And those are two different things. Yeah. Very good question, though. Christian. Chimera wrote in, and I think that's how you say it. It's not Chimera, is well, it? Well, Chimera is the... Because that's like a demon or well, something. Chi well, Chimera is all, are also the bad guys in Resistance. But there's a hockey player called Jason Chimera, and that was how they said his name. So I'm going to assume that when you're not talking about mythology or resistance that it's pronounced Chimera, but I could be wrong. And I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name, Christian. He says, hello, Chris and Colin. Thanks for the amazing content you guys can really make a hard day less painful to get through. That's very good oh, to thanks. hear. thanks. To Chris, I have to say that at first I was a bit skeptical to hear you as co-host, but now I really can't imagine anyone else. <laughs> That's a nice compliment. And uh, by I was the way, I was skeptical too. I agree. It is unimaginable to do sacred symbols without them. Now, my question is for both of you. 
How do you guys see this generation of consoles compared to the others? Personally, I think the PS3 360 period was better due to more original IP, like the first Assassin's Creed, Uncharted, and Bioshock. Now that we haven't had new IP in this generation, but I feel like companies applying more and more of existing IPs. But what do you think? And what is the best generation overall? I can't agree with you. I think the PS4, I like the PS3 a lot. I think the PS3 is superior to PS2 and PS1. But PlayStation 4, I think, is like a completely dominant console. I think PlayStation 4's experience over the last five or so years has been awesome. And I yeah. love it. I absolutely love it. I think PS4 is a completely dominant console. I think the PS4 overall, especially in the last couple of years, I think in the beginning it was, it was a bit off. But like in the last year or so, I think it's definitely been probably a better... We've gotten better games. We haven't gotten really as many new games, even even the stuff that's new this generation. I definitely feel like overall this generation's kind of been kind of lackluster because I feel like a lot of the time has been spent trying to figure out what the hell it is and like, uh, well, where are we really? Is this like a piece? Is this like a kind of a PC? Like what's what's going on here? There's a lot of like social action games. There's a lot of like looter shooters. There's a lot of ah! Ah! <laughs> MMO lights. You know, it's... I definitely have a weird affinity for the PS3 and, and 360 generation just because it seems like just like a really magical time timing wise because like that's that's the time when like uh, online gaming on consoles became really, really accessible and really, really mainstream. And I, I still remember like the first time I played like Lost Planet with other people and I couldn't wrap my head around it. It like blew my mind. It's something that's like pretty common now and like you don't think about it now. But the first experience in an online game is really trippy. If you have an experience in like wireless controllers being like integrated, like what the hell is this? And just the simultaneous rise of like social networking and like media streaming and, and you know, the age of content creation coming into its own. And that was like when I was transitioning into high school. So that like that generation, especially the beginning and like the middle and like even towards the end where we we're getting some pretty great stuff was really seminal for me in a way that I don't think a lot of generations really could be. Even if there are games like God of War that are fantastic or Red Dead Redemption 2 that's just mind-blowingly in-depth and super innovative, I'll always have this weird kind of affinity for that period of time. I see what you're saying, but what I get, I guess what I'm excited about is the more amorphous nature of PlayStation 4 and what Xbox One and what they represent, which is this, finally this foundation in which will be continued into the future yeah. in a way that's always going to be accessible. But that's right? kind of how I feel about, like, this generation is feels like vanilla destiny. You know what I mean? Where it's like, there's a great foundation here, and I'm excited to see what happens with it, but we're not there yet. Like, there's right. a lot of, like, seeds of interesting things happening, like that weird uh, Microsoft and Nintendo thing that's happening, or, like, or like cross-play, or, like, there's a, there's a bunch of really fascinating things happening, but they haven't quite happened yet. I'm excited about this next generation, honestly. Me too. Because this excited. is going to yeah. be a weird one. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fascinating from a perspective of us doing this podcast and kind of criticizing and and I don't mean that in just like you know being a critic and you know you're right there's a lot up in the air still about what you know what we're doing and how we're figuring out and feeling things out but I think the quality of games are great I think that we're getting a lot of if not literal backwards compatibility we're getting old games now coming forward we're getting you know Stellaris is a great example of a PC games now migrating over I've really taken a lot of heart to how or taken to heart how much people are just clamoring for console experiences and how all conventional wisdom in the gaming industry just seems to be repeatedly wrong. I mean, how many times can it be wrong? How many times can PC gaming's dead and Ouya is going to take, like, yeah, Ouya is going to take over and 
oh, PlayStation 3's dead and no one wants to play console games. And it's just like everything's wrong. Everything's fucking constantly wrong. And <laughs> I'm astounded that that Ouya thing even remotely, even remotely took off. Like, it's, I'm surprised it got as much coverage as, as it did. It was it's very weird. I remember when it came out or, or when it was like announced, I was like, what? Why would anyone want this? People might forget this is that Towerfall was originally an Ouya game. And that's like literally the only thing of any worth that came off that thing. Yeah. You know? And it's better on the consoles that are that it's on now. It's so funny <laughs> that they made Celeste and are like this big deal now when they were originally in, in bed with, you know, Matt Makes Games or whatever, were originally in bed with with Ouya. As in, you know, because I remember playing Ouya and that was like the only game where I was like, this is and they were broken and they couldn't manufacture them. That thing was had failure written all over it. I have no idea what the fuck anyone was thinking about that. But OK. Yeah. Andrew Osika wrote into us on Patreon, Chris, and he says, hey, guys, with increasingly credible rumors of Xbox putting Game Pass or possibly even full games on Switch, this begs a question I think people have talked about before, but never really gave any credence to until recently. Do you see a future where the big three have an open ecosystem of games where gamers can get a lot of or maybe even all of, say, Nintendo and Microsoft's games on a PlayStation console or vice versa with any of the others? Do you think that this might be the next big leap that we see going into the next generation of consoles as opposed to a leap in technical power? I used to think that this would never happen, but it seems like Microsoft might be kicking off something big in gaming. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesome content. Now, first of all, I should have predicted that this was going to happen on this show. So you guys can all just go back and listen to that if yeah. you want. Now, I think it's been clear for a while that Microsoft and Nintendo are doing something together. Yeah. That they've been conspiring. Yeah. They had ads together, which yeah. is like really not normal. Now, I think it's very smart for them to get together. I think that it's completely wise for them to go at Sony as one. Yeah. And I don't think that they're literally going to do that. They're figuratively doing it. And so uh, do I see a, a future where Microsoft games are on Nintendo or Nintendo games are on Xbox? Yes, I do see that. Yeah. Do I see a future where PlayStation games are on either of those things? No. And I think... The unfortunate reality of this of these rumors are true, and I don't see why they wouldn't be, frankly. If these rumors are true, Sony's gonna become isolated and they're really gonna have to rely on themselves. It's it's like an art an what do they call it? Autarky. It's an economy that is self-reliant. Mm -hmm. I think that's the word for it, right? Autarky? I don't know. A-U-T-A-R-K-Y. Where it's like you don't need to trade with anyone else, you just take care of and are self-sustaining. Sony is gonna find themselves in that particular position, I think. And this can be a renaissance for the Xbox brand. And a very awesome way for Nintendo to get their products onto another piece of hardware. But I think that they might be more reluctant to do that. But I think that it makes a lot of sense to get Virtual Console on Xbox. I think it makes a lot of sense for Xbox to get Game Pass on Switch. I don't know. This whole thing, uh, a couple years ago, I definitely wouldn't have predicted this. Because it's, it is so out of the ordinary. And it's 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 just even weird to just wrap your head around it. Like when I first saw that news, I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like it's, it's Xbox Live on Nintendo Switch? What? It's just such a weird sentence, let alone a concept uh, to grasp. But I think if we're headed in, in this weird direction where Xbox games are on Switch or if for some reason at some point in the in 10 years from now when Sony decides to play ball uh, where PlayStation games are on Xbox or anything like that, I think what we're probably going to see is kind of like segmented experiences because like Microsoft has kind of been doing this on PC for a while where I remember when Halo 5 launched, it was, on, it was an Xbox exclusive but you could play like custom games and forge mode on PC. So I could see that possibly happening where like, hey, you know, maybe the campaign is available on every platform. But if you want to get into the meat of Halo multiplayer, that's that's Xbox. You need an Xbox to really get into that. Right. Or, right. or uh, you know, vice versa on like Switch or like PlayStation. I, I could see that being a far off thing that happens because ultimately ex exclusivity still matters. Like, people are still going to want experiences that are exclusive to that system, even if they are sharing bits and pieces. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most compelling thing that Nintendo could do 
is to say, here's virtual console, unbridled virtual console on Microsoft's console. And if you want to play the new Mario, you go to Switch. Exactly. If you want to play the new Zelda, go to Switch. But here's your old stuff. Like I would if I were Nintendo, I'd be doing that on PlayStation as well. Like I I think like trophy enabled virtual console, like I would be all <laughs> over. I probably wouldn't play anything ever again except for the virtual console. So I think that they have to like kind of like you're saying, very surgically figure out what makes sense on the other console in order to draw people in because yeah. Nintendo is still very much hardware driven. It's clear Microsoft is comfortable segueing out of hardware eventually. I think that that's yeah. going to happen. Well, they've been PC for a while. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think that they're perfectly comfortable saying Since like this Doom. is an option, but Xbox is going to be a gaming brand. And we can kind of look at the Sega experience. It was unimaginable in the 90s that Sega would make Nintendo games. And then they just started making Nintendo games, right? So anything is certainly possible, but I think an isolated Sony with Microsoft and Nintendo kind of badgering them is in a vulnerable position. And that it's incredibly wise for a traditionally very vehemently solo Nintendo. And I think Sony needs to kind of start breaking down barriers a little bit to be more comfortable. But that said, Spider-Man sold PS4s. God of War sold PS4s. Hardware is a moneymaker if you can get the licensing fees in your ecosystem. So it would be a little suicidal for Sony to start playing ball unless they have to. Xbox is playing ball because they have to. And Nintendo sees a vulnerable competitor. And that's why I think that they're doing it. I'm, I'm excited about this next generation. It's going to be so weird. It's going to be awesome. Landon Morgan wrote into us and said, Colin and Chris, longtime listener of Colin's show's newest patron. Well, welcome and thank you, Landon. I love what you guys are doing with Sacred Symbols. I don't know if this has ever been discussed before. My biggest question has always been, why hasn't there been a third installment of Mega Man Legends? It seems like with all the nostalgia culture lately, it might pop back up. Am I alone in the hope that this series gets a revisit one day? Well, Landon, you probably are familiar with the fact that Mega Man Legends 3 was in development. It was a 3DS game being developed by Capcom. It was revealed in 2010, and then it was canceled in 2011, and it was canceled around the time that KG and Afune left Capcom. Capcom canceled Mega Man. What was that Mega Man, like, almost Minecraft game? It was Mega Man Universe, I think it was called, and it was basically yeah. done, Mega and Maker. they canceled that, and they canceled Mega Man Legends 3 and a bunch of other stuff. So Mega Man Legends 3 was coming, and then it was no more. That would so, be awesome, a, a Mega Man game that you could make your own stuff. Yeah, that, and it was done. I know someone that played the final version of it, and they canceled it. There was a lot of bad blood between Inafune and Capcom. I think yeah, they literally yeah. did it just to fuck them, or just to screw them. I don't think it really fucked them. I think they fucked themselves, frankly. But will Mega Man Legends come back? I don't know. I really have always been of the mind that Mega Man Legends is a little bit overrated, and I'm a huge Mega Man fan, as you guys know. Mega Man Legends is not the beating heart of Mega Man. It's just this weird oh, 3D shoot. game. I remember getting it. I was in ninth grade. I got it for my birthday in 1998, but... I don't think we really need Mega Man Legends, but I just wanted to fill in the history that it did exist and was canceled. CL Squared wrote into us and said, hello, Colin, and hello, Chris. My comment is regarding a little known gem of Spec Ops The Line. I remember playing it with my brother, expecting it to be another shooter and getting thrown into a mindfuck of a game. It's truly great and doesn't get the respect it deserves. Did you guys ever play it? And do you think it will ever get a sequel? Um, it's one of the most underrated games I've ever played in my entire life. Yeah. For sure. But it's not getting a sequel. No, it's That's not going to get a sequel. No, I, th I feel like that game, the core of that game is what it has to say. Like, that's a game with like a very clear, like, I'm going to say something. Yep. And it said it and it doesn't need to say anymore, really. I, I, I think agree. I think a sequel would actually kind of completely undercut the point of the, the game in the I, first place. I absolutely agree. For people that don't know, that game was made by Jaeger, which is a Japanese or a Japanese, a German studio. And it was actually written by Walt Williams, who's a buddy of mine. Walt Williams worked as a producer on Bioshock and most recently wrote Battlefront 2, the Star Wars game. So he's a pretty talented writer that kind of, you know, ebbs and flows between projects. And for people that don't know, Spec Ops came to PS3, Xbox 360, and PC and was a game about a military, American military incursion in the Middle East that goes completely awry. And it's basically about special ops forces going after a rogue group of American soldiers. It's really, really good. And what's disturbing about it for me 
is it's about mental illness. It's about the horrors of war. And it's one of the only games where you are believably mowing down your own people, like where like they're talking English to each other. They're American. They're CIA agents. They're like soldiers and you're just killing each other. It's fucking wild. It really is a great game. And I was told by a source a while ago, like a couple of years ago, a few years ago now that Spec Ops is a really interesting game for 2K, which is the publisher, in that the game has consistently sold. Like, it's never sold an enormous amount of copies, but it just always sells. Like, this very consistent amount. It's like a line. Yeah, because people keep hearing about it. And it's a really special game. People that have listened to me for a long time know I've gone on and on and on and on about this game. But it's really good. And I'm glad that you know about it. Everyone should go play it. Unfortunately, there's no current-gen solution. I don't know if it's backwards compatible on Xbox One. It might be. I don't know. I'll have to check that out. It's excellent. Highly recommended. And as I've said so many times, like the name sucks. The line, it should have been called The Line. The whole Spec Ops thing, because it's not a Spec Ops game. Spec Ops was an old franchise. Just calling it The Line would have been a cool name for the game. And I think actually would have helped it a great deal. Yeah. But um, It's also a middle market game too. It's like double A. It's, it, it's, I don't know. I think the production value is fine. It actually feels great. It's a third person shooter for people yeah, that don't yeah. know. I remember playing like the multiplayer beta for it. Or not beta. It was like a demo or something. I was like, what, the, what is this? This is awful. But the actual like proper single player is so good. It is. It's, it's very story driven. And Nolan North is uh, the protagonist in the game as well. Yeah. Like also like, uh, he, like, has, just like, like he has in every yeah. video game. Chris, the final inquiry comes from James Sprules. He wrote in Good Day CNT. Last night, I was playing Apex Legends with a friend and we were paired up with a younger player, Squeaker. I don't know what that means. Who proceeded to get more and more vocal and abusive as the game wore on. He got really angry when I couldn't stop laughing at the constant stream of abuse he was trying to dish out, including calling me a French fry. <laughs> Do any of you have any memorable encounters with strangers in the online stratosphere? Really enjoying the you, show. You've never heard the term Squeaker before? No. So I, I wanted to put this in for you because I don't play games online. That's true. So yeah. I don't know what that term means. It's just and- like, a, like a kid, like a child who He's like when he gets mad, he just like screams, but it doesn't sound like a scream. It just sounds like a, like somebody squeezing like a like, like, a, squeak a, like toy. a squeaky toy. So uh, I wanted to put that in there to, for you to wrap things up. Do you have any memorable online experiences worth noting? Oh I, I, we've talked about how much more heinous it used to be than it is today. Yeah, but. I uh, oh man, I I feel like I have way too many. Like there, there was one. A, a lot of these are like 360 generation, but I remember when I was playing the beta for Halo Reach in 2010. I believe it was like May of 2010, and I I found myself in a lobby with genuine military guys and they were like properly like you like uh, we got people on the west you know and it was like wow i was like oh shit okay and i got really sucked into it and I, and I never played with those people again never had that experience again but it was like wild i was like surprisingly engrossed in that kind of <laughs> tactical like weird online gaming is, is just weird in general because of the people you come across but i know that i've i've met people on xbox live and on psn that i'm still friends with that i've never actually met in person still which is actually kind of insane. Just like, through the experience of playing a game together? Yeah, just through the experience of like playing, especially back in the day when it was like very new to me because I was just like, what is happening? It's such a mind-blowing thing. But if I could go back in time and watch myself react to playing with other people who are across the world, I would love to see how I reacted to that because I'm sure I, I was just baffled. It's funny watching like it all come for full circle kind of about how heinous and abusive everything used to be and like how like a lot of people just don't even bother with online voice chat anymore. Like, yeah, I, 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 I miss I, personally. I miss I miss those days. It's because it's because it was so unregulated, which it's like an, a totally unregulated libertarian market of fucking. Not, yeah, like, it's just it's totally bizarre. people just like really going at each other in, in like the pregame lobbies and taunting people afterwards. But then afterwards, you get a message like good game <laughs> or you get like a friend request like, hey, let's play together again after being inundated with like slurs and like a horrendous language. There's a weird sense of like vile camaraderie to it. 
that I, I, I do kind of miss. And that kind of went away with the advent of like party chat and like um, even just recently with just like Skype and, and Discord and uh, stuff like that, where people mostly just kind of talk off console or off system now uh, as opposed to in-game i miss in-game voice chat because like that was some of the that's how i met people right and it was like it was really cool and it, granted you don't get as much abuse but at the same time you also miss out on a hundred percent of all the new people that you could be interacting with and it's bittersweet i guess yeah i've always just been that one to mute yeah there was one thing though when i remember playing playstation all-stars battle royale on my vita and it was the first time I did voice chat on like like voice enabled Vita and your mic was automatically enabled on the Vita unless you turned it off. So I remember not even realizing I'm like, holy shit, like what are, what are, like people don't realize like there was I played all these games where I'm like people don't realize that I can fucking hear them. You know, like yeah, yeah. I remember actually I very clearly remember playing Wheel of Fortune on PSN on PS3 with someone who was fucking straight up cheating. But didn't realize that his mic was on was like somehow like gaming the system or whatever. And they were like going back and forth and cheating and stuff like that. I thought it was so funny. But when I rarely go into these lobbies, I think, again, Battlefield one was probably the last game I really played online for any amount of time. I just was like mute everyone. Was like, yeah, oh, I, can't, I, I can't. mute them now just because I don't talk like when I used to talk, I used to put my headset on. And I definitely wouldn't mute anybody. But now it's just I'm playing by myself. I don't want to hear other people screaming. Uh, or any of that. No. And I, I I mean, the one thing I'm sad of is, is someone who's a single player gamer where all the memes and all the funny videos of like the kids online yelling at their moms or the people like yeah. speaking in the background. People. Yeah, it's I fun. remember people playing music constantly, like just like yeah. into the mics. It was, it <laughs> was just really, watching TV. It was it's really insane. wild. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of miss it. There was um, actually recently Apex Legends is a game that I've been like kind of meeting people on. It's a game that you can only play with three people. You can't play it alone. And you can't play it with uh, just two people. You got, it, it forces you into three people, three person squads. So occasionally I'll just, it'll be me and a friend of mine and then oh, we need a new guy. And they'll always have their mic on and they're talking. And I, it's it's kind of nice to have that because they're not really assholes at all. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's nice. I miss it. Well, Chris, that's all we have this week for Sacred Symbols, PlayStation podcast. Well, look at that. Fun episode. Yeah, it's a good one. Hope you all enjoyed it out there. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You get every episode early and ad-free if you do support us at the $5 level or higher. Of course, there are other levels of support that make most financial sense for you with their own perks included. Without your support over there, we simply can't do the show, so please consider it. If you can't afford it or are not inclined to do that, that's perfectly fine with us. Please leave us nice reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. Tell your friends and family. Spread the word. Sacred Symbols. Everyone should know the dominant force that it is in the yeah. world of PlayStation. <laughs> we appreciate you. We hope that you have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next week for episode 36, which will be on time. We'll, we're back on schedule now, so no worries there. Chris, thank you for your time. Of course. Appreciate you. Appreciate all of you out there. Till next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fodios Frank. 
Mangos, Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julips, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.